Welcome to another very special episode of Vanilla Weiss and the Nostalgic Nerds. And of course, we've got returning again, once again, executive producer of this podcast, my man Danny Cooksey, who y'all remember from Different Strokes, Terminator 2, Salute Your Shorts, Hey Arnold, and various other projects. And today we will be interviewing my man, local South Florida comedian, Chris Palmatessa. Thank you, Chris, for joining us today. Ah, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Chris, you grew up, you're 43, right? Um, yeah. So you grew up with different strokes and Danny's other work, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, was, I was younger, but I do remember that. I remember Terminator 2. I remember salute your shorts because one of the girls was pretty good looking on that. Uh, <laughs> was Adina? Yeah, I think she was the darker haired one. Uh, I was just about coming to that age where I was looking for that kind of material everywhere I could find it. But yeah, that was, <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was good. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad you didn't know Danny back then. He could have hooked you up. Yeah, man. Yeah. I could, have, I could have made the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's like if you remember Terminator, you, you're probably right in that age range where the Nickelodeon show would, would do the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember Terminator because, like, Terminator was when, like, my first bit of testosterone was hitting. And that gun, they had that Guns N' Roses soundtrack right? was like, you could yeah. be mine. And that video, that was like when I first, cause I got into lifting weights and that was when I first started lifting weights and I play that soundtrack over and over again while I was like lifting weights and, and, you know, friggin' rocking out in my mom's basement. That was a good one. I mean, that song, when it, that was, that was a good one when it came out. I, oh. I, I thought I was like, you know, the cock of the walk cause I had an advanced copy of this, of the single. <laughs> that's awesome man that's awesome yeah that was a, and it was a good video that came out with it too but um yeah yeah man and then linda hamilton like when i saw linda hamilton do all those pull-ups and shit i was like dude i gotta get big because there's chicks out there that are bigger than me and and i just gotta i gotta get there yeah, yeah she, was, she was she was yoked up oh hell yeah hell yeah but funny enough, she was also a big uh, chain smoker, wasn't she? So she was like the healthiest chain smoker. I mean, maybe she, maybe she, she could have cut back, you know, in the training, in the training days, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they cancel each other out, right? You, you, right. You smoke a cigarette, eat a stalk of broccoli. You're good, <laughs> man. You know. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's a good. I think that's a good. Uh, it's a good regime. <laughs> and she was quite good looking too for her day. I remember um in the first Terminator, she was quite a heartthrob. Like such a such a nice lady. Yeah, such a talented and very underrated actress too. Was she cool to work with? Um, I, I really didn't have much I I met her more sort of after um at some of like the Terminator reunions and sort of mm -hmm. conventions and stuff that we did. Because we didn't have any like sort of scenes together, gotcha. so. Um, but she's she's absolutely just wonderful, very sweet. Did you meet Arnie? 
Uh, yeah, I've met him twice. Uh, once for like, you know, like 30 seconds, just an introduction at, uh, when I was doing the movie. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then like years later at a, uh, a convention, we had like a photo op. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I've, only time I've been in his presence, I was at like this dedication for Muscle Beach in Venice and um, he came out and he had like, I didn't like, I, I just got a look at the top of his head because he was surrounded by security and all kinds of shit because, you know, the governor of California and all that. But like, yeah, yeah. friggin', uh, it was funny because like, you know, seeing him in person and like friggin' having like, I mean, I was a bodybuilder, so I idolized the shit out of him when I was growing up. But it was just like, you know, seeing him there. He was he was not as tall as I expected him to be. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I'm five foot three, so everybody's sort of tall, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and didn't stats get it wrong once they put you down, listed you as six foot one? Yeah, I was actually talking to my daughter last night, and, and it had gotten corrected. I went from over six feet to now I'm listed at five one and a half. So now I'm underlisted. I went from ridiculously over height to uh, now I'm under height. So that, that'll be fun. Yeah, Danny just became a grandfather too. Congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It so it is like the greatest thing ever. Before we know it, we'll be calling you great grandpa. You know, with the way life is flying by these days, it, it probably will not be too long. Yeah. It'll yeah. seem like yesterday at some point. Yeah, I haven't even had kids yet, man. I really, I really want kids. Um, believe it or not, like I didn't find out until I was forty years old that I was a sperm donor baby. Like I never had a dad or anything like that. Um, oh, that's wild. Yeah, I found out through Twenty Three and Me, and like friggin', uh, my mom had kept it a secret my whole life. And like my mom's like an old school Italian woman. So like growing up, the story she told me was that my dad was actually her ex-husband who was an alcoholic who died at like 40. And that was a story I grew up with. But she thought that would be better than telling me that I was a sperm donor baby, which I don't get at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? There's one thing you don't do that's question an Italian mother. No, you do not. You do not. Because... You will get smacked that's, in the face. That's a, that's a big no-no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so you're, uh, you do uh, stand-up comedy, yeah? Yes, sir. How long have you been doing that? So I've actually been doing it since November, but um, uh, I've been loving it. Like, because, I, like I said, I was a bodybuilder. I was a competitive bodybuilder out in uh, Southern California. I used to train a lot of pro bodybuilders. I used to train pro fighters and things like that. And I got autoimmune disease and I went from having like being like 220 pounds, rock hard muscle was really well known all over YouTube and stuff like that. Like not huge, but like, but pretty well known in the fitness community. And when the autoimmune disease hit, it was all kind of taken away from me. So um, I ended up getting a corporate job. I run a company out here in Florida and I was like, you know, looking for something where I could express myself. And, uh, and, you know, I went to one of Dan's shows. That's, that's how it all started. I was sitting there in the audience and he got up and said, anybody wants to do an open mic, come on up. So I didn't prep anything. I just got up there and did it. And from that point on, I was freaking hooked, man. Really? That's, that's amazing. When that, that takes, that takes some guts to just get up there and just and wing it. 
Yeah, my girl. How did it go? It, it, I mean, it obviously went well enough that it got you hooked. I did one joke and people laughed, and then I sat down and friggin' oh, okay, uh, nice. and and leave them, more, leave them wanting more. Yeah, exactly. And then I was like, that's when I was like, all right, I gotta start writing. So I started writing and friggin' um, started showing up for open mics. And then uh, Dan's been awesome and helping me along. Like, I don't think I'd be doing this at all if it wasn't for Dan. And then my other buddy Hanson Sinclair, who's been doing this like. 20 years has been helping me along and, and, and coaching me a little bit. And um, yeah, man, I've been getting booked for shows and, and um, doing a lot of stuff all around here in South Florida. It's been, it's been absolutely great, man. When you were, when you were growing up, um, who were some of the comics you followed the most? Would you say? Um, So Richard Pryor was probably the first. uh, And then Eddie Murphy raw. I have a, I have a distinct like memory uh, like back in the 1980s, like sitting there and my mom didn't realize what I was watching. I was watching Eddie Murphy raw. And I remember her storming in being like, what the fuck are you listening to right now? And friggin', uh, <laughs> yeah. That was, that was the, I think it was, um, the set where he was, uh, he's pretending to be the Jamaican with a giant dick and he was like swinging it around yeah. shit like that. That got me. And I was like that. Um, and then, uh, you know, on into like the late nineties and early two thousands, Dave Chappelle, of course, you know, and friggin', uh, um, my, my biggest influences today, I think are like Tony Hinchcliffe, uh, Dave Chappelle, uh, Bill Burr, um, uh, you know, those guys are, are really great. I love Sebastian Menescalco, um, you know, and, uh, it's been awesome, man. Like I said, I, I do a lot of, I was in the Marine Corps. I served for, for, for six years. So, there's a wealth of comic Thank material you there. You know, I, I, I do a lot of jokes about that. And then I've been with my girl for over 10 years. So she's a, a gold mine of jokes as well. Oh, man. A wealth, she, a wealth of information. His girlfriend is the greatest sport of any girlfriend you'll ever meet when it comes to what she'll allow both he and I to say about her when we're on stage. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get, I guess you, you, you know, if you're in a relationship with a comic, you're, 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 you've, you've got to have a, a, a pretty thick skin, you know. Yeah. For, for that length of for that length of time, you got to know what you're in for. Yeah, and I, I told her, I'm like, look, like, you know, when you're a comic and you're up there, like, I'm taking on a completely, different, it's still me, but it's a different personality. Like the way right. the way I think of it is like the personality I have on my stage on on stage is when it's like the personality I had when I was 19 and I didn't give any fucks about anything, you know, before I got, got, you know, trampled down by the man. And so, uh, I, I love taking that persona on and I love, love being up there. In all fairness to in comedy, the whole objective is to make people laugh, to get the audience to giggle and be engaged, not to be a moralistic individual. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big problem with what's going on right now, too. Yeah. It's got to be tough. I mean, it's tough to, to you know, it's it's a weird time. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. That's what I miss so much about the 90s. I mean, we didn't even realize when we were going through the, like, 80s and 90s how simple of a time it was in terms of, what we were allowed to do um 
basically how we were allowed to present ourselves and everything. And now you can't even utter a sentence without having to worry that it's going to get misconstrued and that everyone's going to lose their shit over it. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 part of it, for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those, it's, I guess it's one of those things, it's like, you know, we have, we also have a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's, we could definitely say a lot more, too. You know what I mean? At the same time, it's like, you know, back then, they were saying a lot, but, you know, we... Life, life goes on and, and things change. I just think it's a, it's a little sensitive these days. Yeah. Yeah. And what I, what I, what bothers me is like, cause I think back to like the nineties and, and early two thousands, the religious right was really like tampering down on people. Right. Like it was, it was, it, that was what I guess you could say, like the, the, the wokesters or, or whoever's doing it now is, is, is kind of emulating. And I, um, you know, it's weird for me because I'm not politically really one way or the other. You know, I, I never have been. And um, it sucks because, you know, I, I like South Florida comedy because, you know, I mentioned Hanson Sinclair is one of my good friends. We disagree on everything pretty much politically, but, but we're really good friends and we love comedy. So, like, we'll have conversations right. where we can agree to disagree. And I just don't think that happens anymore. And, and to get a comic on stage to try to, you know, express everything that he believes politically in a set. That's not what comedy is about. Comedy is about getting people to laugh. And it's about trying to go to, to that line with the, the understanding that you're, you're not going to go too far or that you might go too far, but you're going to bring the audience back and make them laugh, you know? And that's, yeah. that's what I think I, that's what I miss, you know? Yeah. And I also feel like some things that we've tried so hard to make differently nowadays have actually backfired and become worse. Like, for example, when it comes to racial issues and stuff, I feel like as hard as we've tried to get stuff like that under control, um, I feel like racial tension is actually even worse than it was in the 90s. Because now we're fixated on it more than we were back then. It's but it kind of it kind of goes hand in glove. It's like we were sort of uh, blind to some of the things that were were not appropriate to say and do, and now it's like you know you 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 know what's right and wrong. It's I feel like we've just slipped into uh, whether it's demeaning, insulting, mm-hmm. purposefully and mean spirited as opposed to just making an observation that's funny. Right. You right. know what I mean? Like, I, and, and there's, and there's the difference, I think. Yeah. And I definitely agree there's with a that. There's a lot of things that were said back in the eighties and the nineties that would, would, would get people, you know, they'd be, it'd be a wrap on their career. You know what I mean? Just cause you know, it was, it was, you know, mean spirited, I guess, you know, or, or not, not sensitive, even though it was, you know, funny. Yeah, and I think so even it, like there, SNL. There's definitely a fine a fine line to walk, you know. Yeah, and I think the crowds. I think I think that I think that like if you're in a venue and and someone is sort of to, you know uh, on that line, 
the people in the room aren't really the ones that are going to get pissed off. It's like this third, third hand account, a video. You know what I mean? It's always something that is, uh, you, you can't now with, with technology being the way it is and, and, and video and viral and all of this stuff. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like sending someone a text message, uh, that they take insulting because they they don't see your face. You can't tell the sarcasm. You can't tell that it's a joke. So it just becomes this thing with no context. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, if, to be inside the room is going to be totally different than someone said, you know what someone said? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you're not, if you're not in that, in the room where the vibe is, is that it, it is jokes, then it's it, it, the, the sentence, everything that was said is totally different. Yeah, I remember like 10 years ago, stuff like that got me into trouble online and stuff. I would be trying to to tease these girls I knew like it and bust their balls a bit. And then they took it a huge offense to it because it was in writing. Like yeah. the, this one picture that this girl had where she and this other girl were in the dark. And I, I asked, how come you guys are in the dark? And how she writes back, how come you're not? And I jokingly write back, um, I'm afraid of the dark. I always see really scary things when it's dark, like the two of you. Oh, and, and she she took like she took huge offense to that. And I even said LOL JK. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 you know, I've I think everybody sorta of at the, by this point, everyone's had that thing where you you know mouthed off something smart ass in like a text and then someone comes like later on and goes like dude I, I really that was like that was fucked up what you said i was like i was kidding Do you know what i mean like if you would have seen my face you know i would have been smiling and you would have known that i was busting your balls but yeah. you know you can't you can't see it so it's it's like you know it's one of the pros and the cons of uh, progress i guess yeah, and I think the other thing about social media is that they now have an archive of everything you've ever said. You know, like when you had Kevin Hart, um, who was supposed to host one of the awards shows, and they went back like 10 years to his Twitter account and found like one, I think it was one homophobic thing that he said 10 years earlier, and he couldn't host anymore, you know? And I think like there's this thing that happens where if you're in Hollywood or you're in entertainment or you're a public persona, they are going to dissect you in every single way that they possibly can to try to, it's like, it's like a game of gotcha, you know? And like, I can't live by statements I made 10 years ago. Cause I was a fucking yeah. idiot 10 years ago. Yeah. You know? Same here. I was in my twenties still 10 years ago. So I was still really immature. I was, still a kid and I still hadn't yet quite discovered myself and the way that I have nowadays. So I know that I've said a bunch of stupid shit back then that I take back. And I, that's one thing I love about um the Facebook memories that they share and give you the option to post from like 10 years ago. It makes me see where I came from during the start of the Facebook error opposed to where I'm at now with it. <laughs> well, it's funny. You were talking about Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy raw. I mean, 
that show has some things that would that would not be would not would not be you know put in an act today probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, even SNL Saturday Night Live. Remember Pat? Like the friggin' yeah. the androgynous uh, uh, whatever it was or yeah. whatever. Like that would never fly today, ever. No. Even a bunch of comedy movies from the 80s, such as Porky's, would never fly today, especially remember that one really racist character in Porky's, the one who who spewed like 10 N-bombs every five seconds. Yeah, see, I have not seen Porky's in such a long time. It's funny you brought that. It's like, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh shit, I forgot all about Porky's. Yeah, there was this one white character in it who, like, every other word out of his mouth was an N-bomb. Yeah. Only thing I remember about Porky's was the shower scene. Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of boobs in Porky's. Yes, there, there there, are a lot. That was, like, it was, like, the fat material back in back in the day. Yeah. it's. I, I feel like that's, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't remade Porky's. But yeah, and what's it called? Um, funny enough, it's that movie supposed to take place in Broward County, but um, it had a fictional name, the town that movie took place in, and I think that's because they didn't want to get sued by the mayor of Broward County for the way it portrayed the county. I gotta watch that tonight. It's it's, it's pretty funny that you've got a deep backstory on Porky's. It says it says a lot about you, Dan. I know that is one thing about me. I tend to analyze all different media. Like somebody going on with Porky's. Somebody was recently talking to me about the Halloween series, and I was analyzing the fact that everyone calls Michael Myers evil, but. I've always characterized Michael Myers more as confused and lost than actually evil because I characterize him as somebody who is just so confused about everything that he doesn't know any other way of living other than just slaughtering everything in his path. Look, look at you! With got the, got the like you know got a heart for for Michael Myers. You know? <laughs> well, Jason Voorhees is kind of the same way. He was a drowned little yeah. kid. Oh yeah, you know? Jason's definitely not evil. Jason's just vengeful. He's just mad. Yeah. 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 He's it, a petulant little child. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> when he takes that mask off in the movies, it's like the worst ever because it's like. Oh. But yeah, with Michael Myers, so um, usually when I think of evil, I think of somebody who's like well aware of their actions and they just do it just for the thrill of watching others suffer. Well, with Michael Myers, it, he, he, it just seems like he's never known any other way of living other than just killing. But didn't a psychologist... He's like the guy who like brought him up. Didn't he say he was like pure evil? Yeah. Wasn't that like a theme in it? Like he's pure evil. Those eyes. Things like that. But especially since he doesn't even talk, he never says a word to me. That tells me here's somebody who's such a lost soul. Uh, it's weird. Man, it's, 
it's weird <laughs> to me though because like as a kid who grew up with a single mom back in the 80s and 90s like most of my personality is on what it means to be a man is based off of like some amalgamation of like hulk hogan bruce willis from die hard and friggin al bundy like those three characters probably make up most of my personality today that's pretty funny that's a a helpful combo yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always said Comedy Central needs to do a roast of Hulk Hogan. I'm I'm surprised out of all the roasts they've done, they haven't had done one of Hulk Hogan yet. I think he's canceled. He is. Yeah. What what canceled him? Um, I think didn't he make like oh, didn't, didn't he didn't he sleep with like his friend's wife or something on video? I thought his wife was cheating on him, and then he he paid for the video to get it back. Or something like that, and then I think. No, I thought it was uh, what's his, it was like Bubble the Love Sponge was his wife or something. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. But it was like a swinger situation. Like yeah, yeah. Like he wanted him. His, Bubble the Love Sponge wanted him to fuck his wife, and like right. Yeah, yeah, that's what happened. And then freaking um, and then that billionaire Peter Thiel, like he freaking helped Hulk Hogan sue, um gawker or one of those that's right yes it was like, the, the yeah person to put it out because yeah peter Thiel had a vendetta against them because they outed him for being gay it's it's a it's what a what a it's like the wild west of, of multimedia yeah yeah peter Thiel is like a dude you don't want to screw with like he's a billionaire he's got unlimited resources and like he's actively gone gone after like media outlets that have crossed him and like got he he literally got Gawker shut down. Really? I mean, it's it's such a weird deal. It's like, you know, it's it's like I said, it's the it's the pros and cons. You know, prog- progress versus going, wow, this are we over the line now? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I have no idea where it's going. I think it's swinging back the other way though, because you know, we're starting to see like like comics kind of fighting back like you know joe rogan and friggin tim dylan and friggin all these guys are kind of kind of just fighting back like tony hinchcliffe got canceled uh what like a year and a half ago yeah because of the the what's it called racial remarks about the asian guy i think it was yeah about pengen and like friggin um uh they were introducing each other he got up on a set and like called them all these things but like Tony bounced back within like two weeks, you know. Oh yeah, right. and Joe Rogan too, wasn't he? Um, well, they were gonna cancel him when they heard that podcast where he dropped like a bunch of n bombs. It was multiple podcasts. Yeah, it was multiple they did, podcasts. Like, an anthology, yeah. Yeah, and they were gonna cancel him for that, but I guess that never ended up happening. Danny, what are you seeing out there? in terms of in, in California and you, you're probably closer to the entertainment industry than we are, but like, like, what are you seeing out there? How, how's the climate? I think it's, I think it's everyone. I think everyone is sort of, it, it's not that, that I think it's more of like everyone just trying to like uh, keep everybody happy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like you, you want to push the envelope and you want to do all these things, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I think, and it's not a bad thing. It's like, you know, people going like, you know, it's not a bad thing to be sensitive. 
And I, I think that I think that the, as far as media wise and, and, and things like that, they sort of, you know, they're trying to it's, it's the same as the, as the news. You don't put on the, the news is slanted one way or the other mm-hmm. because it's entertainment. It's not news. So it's like these it's like people have to fill content. We're now literally at this like where it is beyond a 24 hour news cycle. It is minute to minute. You know what I mean? And it's instant and it's, and it can reach everybody. And all of these outlets are trying to fill space. And the only way that they can fill their space and get their numbers and make their money is to slant it one way or the other. Um, So it just becomes, it becomes this, uh, you know, confused state. The first half hours ending, I'm just going to hit stop recording and then re-record again. All right. All right. Alrighty, we're back. So nice. So you said you started it was it last November? Yep, last November. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been doing comedy like three, four nights a week uh, ever since. You know, it's uh, it's been a little bit to like balance the schedule because, like I said, I run a company out here and uh, got a bunch of other stuff going on. But but yeah, it's been great. And Florida's like a uh, South Florida in particular is a great place to do comedy because there's so many opportunities to perform like there's mics almost every yeah. night uh, you can get out you really work on the craft and uh yeah i feel like um i've been able to to pack a lot in in the short time that i've been doing it yeah now at this point with it being uh you know a fairly short amount of time what's the sort of longest what's the longest set that you've gone up and 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 you know where where's your where's your at this stage, where's your comfort level? Yeah, I could do I could do twenty minutes, uh, pretty you well. Do 20? Yeah, I've done twenty minute sets. I've done fifteen minute sets. Um, generally, uh, out here when you're doing open mics, I mean, they do you do five minute sets generally. Yeah, but there's a few open mics if you go to them. Like like this is the thing people don't understand. It's a lot more difficult to do comedy in a small bar where people don't really didn't even know they were going to see a comedian than it is Absolutely. to do it at the improv, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I love doing it at the improv because there's just a certain feeling you get when you're performing for a real crowd in a crowd where, you know, a lot of people are likely to get certain jokes that may go over the heads of people who've been drinking all night and are not really paying attention to the show but you have to do those other gigs you have to do the dive bars you have to do like the places that are a little bit more uncomfortable because that's what makes you sharp you know and like and i I feel that's where you can really test your material it's like if i can get something by these if i can slip a fastball by these people Mm -hmm. that have that are you know could could you know be having an absolute shit day just wanted to come in and get blitzed at a bar Mm-hmm. And have no sense of humor at the moment. You know, if I can turn, if I can turn them, then I can definitely work with people that go, "Let's go out and laugh tonight." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then if you get really good with those spots, then you're gonna kill it at the improv. Like you're gonna, you're gonna yeah. murder. So, like, you know, what I'll do is, um, I, I write every day. Uh, when I first get to the office, I spend, you know, half hour to an hour just writing. And uh, I keep a notebook on me when, when uh, I, I think of a concept, I'll write it down and then I'll flesh it out in writing. And then it'll generally take me like one or two open mic spots to get it good. And then, then I'll stick it into a show. And, um, right. 
that system has been working really well. Um, you know, it's uh, like you, you and the thing about comedy is this, like you get your off nights and you get you, you have your great nights, you know, and, and uh, uh, the off nights are going to going to really outnumber the great nights because just for the matter that sometimes you're going to be performing for one or two people and you got to eat a lot of shit. But yeah. when you get it right, it's like a drug, man. It's like it's like friggin' an opiate going through your veins. It's like the most euphoric feeling in the world. Yeah, I know that's the greatest feeling I can get. Like the greatest nights of my life have not been the nights where I've done something super exciting, but the nights where I can say that I went up there and crushed it. And the feeling you get after you crush it is just a feeling where you really feel like you've accomplished something big. Hmm. Oh, yeah. What's, uh, uh, all right, so here's a question for you guys. What's like your worst, your worst bombing story? What was the one where you just wanted to crawl, like <laughs> get down on your hands and knees and just crawl slowly off the stage? Um, you know what? Like, I'll be honest with you. I've had so much shit happen in my life. Like I fucking, I failed at so many things. I lived, I lived out of my car for a bit, like all that. Like I've never had a crushing moment in comedy. Cause like I generally have thick skin. What I'll say is there was this one time I was performing actually down where I'm performing tomorrow night. And like, I completely blinked on stage for like 10 seconds. Right. But like yeah. when you're up there, it feels like, you know, you did it for a full minute and friggin', um, uh, that was one time when I was like, you know, fuck. Right. Like, and then I'm driving back to Broward County all the way from Cutler Bay, which is like an hour long drive. And you're thinking, Oh man, I could have done this or I could have done that. But like, yeah. you learn to bounce back really quick from stuff like that. And you've got to understand like, yeah, you're going to have shitty sets. You're going to, they're going to have, but that's not, that's not your career. It's not you. It's not even, it could, it, it could be a million things. The audience might not have been, might not have been great. There might've been, you know, a, the, the acoustics in the, um, in the bar. Dan and I did a show a couple of weeks ago. It was a great crowd, but like nobody could hear anything. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mickey Burns. Yeah. Yeah. And friggin', uh, it, 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 and so all those things kind of have to go right in order for you to have a great set. But yeah, you know, at the same time, uh, when you crush and you, and you get it, that's, that, that's the most awesome thing in the world. I mean, the, the comedy club shows are a breeze, you know, they're, they're, they're so easy to do. Um, the, the friggin' the bar shows are where you got to prove your metal. Yeah. You know, it's, I guess it's all, it's all about paying dues and lessons learned. Mm -hmm. But yeah, my, um, story would probably be like four years ago when I was trying much too hard to be as shocking as possible. Like I wasn't really thinking about the context or content at the time. My only goal at that night was to get people really shocked. And unfortunately it worked, but not in a good way. Everybody was so shocked because they were and to the point they were really silent throughout my set. I didn't get like a single laugh. All I got was moans throughout my set. And after, <laughs> yeah, afterwards it hurt so bad. I was like, maybe it was the one thing that made me question whether or not it was time to throw in the towel or at least temporarily. 
until I was able to get my shit together again in the craft. But he's got. I mean, that's that's that's. I mean, it's funny. It's like uh, as performers, and I can't remember where it was. It was on something that I was listening to. Uh, it was like it's it's such a weird personality shift. The people that have this like desire to perform have a very thick skin on one hand and are, you know, extroverted. And it's like, at, and at the same time uh, are super sensitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's, you got to have both parts, the, the sort of ego side that goes, oh, yeah, sure. I'll get up there and, and, and do this. And at the other part going, man, that's, you know, I really shit the bed tonight. Yeah. And the thing for me is like, yeah, I know you've really turned into Amber Heard. You shit the bed. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, if you don't have a shit the bed story, get out of here. <laughs> but like, I I really think like for me, um, you know, I do this because I enjoy it, and like, you know, I I've got a pretty great career and everything like that. And but anytime I get to perform, it's a blessing, um, and and that's the way I look at it. It's a it's it's a privilege and a blessing to be up there on stage. Anytime any anybody gives me time or books me for a show, it's a blessing. I don't think like I don't think I deserve anything at all. And friggin, um, you know, wherever this takes me, great. You know, if 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 15, 20 years from now I'm still doing like friggin' local bar shows, that's cool too. You know what I mean? Right. Um yeah. I, I grinded it out for 10 years trying to be a pro bodybuilder in LA and friggin', like I said, lived out of my car for a bit and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that again with this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, but, but I'm going to do this until I, I stop enjoying it, you know? Yeah. That's part of what makes something a passion is being able to stick with it, no matter what the results are, because it's something that you love to do. Like, um, if it's something you're just doing for the money and fame, then it's not really a passion. Mm-hmm. Then it's more of an obsession with your with one's own ego, right? And I, and that's why I thought it's great. Those who um are not like big name actors anymore, like they were back in the day, but they're still doing projects because they refuse to quit acting or other crafts because they love it too much to let it go. Right. And I think that you, the, those people are the ones that you, you find, you know, actually, uh, have, have, well, it's what, it's like the old saying, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Er- yeah. Actor Ernest Borgnine was acted in, uh, into his 90s. He's a handful. Yeah. <laughs> but that's probably what kept him alive for so long. He was 96 when he died. That's a long time. Yeah. I've heard stories about Richard Pryor um, when he was dying of cancer. Like, he'd go back to the comedy store and like do sets and they'd carry him on stage and they'd have to like amplify the volume because his voice was so weak and everything like that. And like, yeah, I get that. Cause he was like trying to get back in touch with himself and everything. But like, I mean, well, I think, I think for somebody like him, that was just such a, a, a genius. Yeah. 
I mean, literally like a genius. It's yeah. just the way that he'd look at life. Mm-hmm. It was, that was part of, that's like, it's like you know, you can, you can take my body, you can take my mind, you can take all this, but you can't, no matter what happens, that mind is, that mind is working. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Well, and Richard Pryor is literally, like, not a, but the giant of stand-up comedy. Like, if there was a one-face Mount Rushmore for um, comedy, his would be the face on it. I feel like he's the one who everybody refers to when they think of the godfather of stand-up comedy. I think him, Lenny Bruce, too, man. Like, Lenny Bruce is kind of the guy who started it all. Yeah, well, that's mainly because Lenny Bruce did what you weren't allowed to do back then in comedy, which was curse, and he did it anyway, so that's what makes Lenny Bruce the other godfather. But with Richard Pryor, people look at him the same way they look at Elvis for music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there's there's just no no one no one took took the the craft and, and did it any and, and did it any better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like you take like Lenny Bruce, like for example, I mean, he died pretty young from a heroin overdose, you know. And yeah. Like, like um he was probably somebody who I just like and the little I know about him, but like just seeing him and see having seen his material and things like that. Like he was probably somebody who couldn't see himself growing old and like friggin' right. You know, if, if he did make it to old age, it might not have been the best thing for him, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Sam Tennyson was a little bit like that too. Exactly. It, it was like, it was like, man, I mean, it's like in order to, to, to how, how, how many years do you have to, to, to be Sam Tennyson? Right. Right. You know what I mean? Eventually, you're going to hit the wall hard. Yep. He was he was one of those comics that I I I caught early on, and like I was definitely too young to, to, to. I was it was completely inappropriate, but I mean he was a force like n- like nothing I've ever seen before. Oh yeah, man! Like he was. He, he's definitely one of the people too. I forgot to mention him before, but like seeing him was freaking insane as a kid. Cause I'd never seen anybody do anything like that before. You know? No. Yeah. I think no. the closest since him, who's, who's anything like him would be Lewis Black. Lewis Black has somewhat of a similar shtick to Sam Kinison, the whole like screaming jokes. Mm-hmm. But that was the thing about Kennison. If you took the screaming away and just went on the material, his material was like next level shit. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. Like, I mean, it was. Like, I mean, holy, like, I mean, it's like if, if there was no Kennison, there would be no like you know Anthony Jeselnik. Or I mean, it's like not even just he was over the top in every single aspect that you could possibly imagine. He was a on Christian stage, preacher. I mean, darkness. I mean, I mean, good lord, the guy did a. What was the <laughs> in the first age the, the uh, uh, homosexual nec- necrophiliacs? It's like, like how dark? How and he even says this. He's like, you know, everybody. You're wondering how far are we going to go? How low are we going to go? This is it, folks. This is the <laughs> bottom floor right here. I'm about to do homosexual necrophiliacs, and this is this is the bottom. Yeah. That that the crazy thing is he was a Pentecostal preacher before he was a comic comic. 
and it totally it totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because you could when see he would, it. when he and his act would go into the the preacher routine. It was like I mean that was like it was like going into warp speed. Yeah, you just went, oh my god, I totally get this now. Yeah, I heard a, a story about him, and I think his brother wrote a book about him. But like, uh, I heard something to the effect of his last words because he died in a car accident just outside of Needles, California. Yeah, and that yeah. was after a show, wasn't it? Yeah, he was riding through the desert, and. Like something to the effect of his last words were like, please don't take me yet or something like that. And I think about that a lot, man, because like, like that, all that energy, like, I don't know what happens when we die, but that energy has got to go somewhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and you got to, and you got to imagine that, but that beneath the act, beneath all the other stuff, this is a guy that had his faith. You know what I mean? Like somewhere down there that didn't go away, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I, I have a, a my I have a Sam Tennyson story. So I went to um, I went to this really strange, very bizarre award show. It was like the Science Fiction Awards, and it was at Universal Studios. And for whatever reason, it was was it or was it horror? I can't remember what it was. Some like really strange award show that was like not taped and just like some type of event. But it was held on the Conan the Barbarian stunt stage at Universal Studios, which was the strangest setting. And it was the most bizarre thing ever. And Sam Kinison showed up and sat directly behind me. And he showed up with like two girls and literally just busted balls and narrated this entire award show. Like in a a soft voice that was not like, but I was right, I was sitting right in front of him and could hear him the entire time. Almost talking to himself, but just verbal, like audibly, just, I mean, cutting, it was the greatest, it was like, it was like a, like a commentary track on this shitty award show. And it was the funniest shit. I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing. That must have been great. Oh my God. That'd be hilarious. I turned around and I said, I'm a huge fan. I just wanted to, and I just want to say, like, this was the most entertaining thing. Like, if, and he just sort of like, yeah, 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 man. And then like, you know, walked away and I just went, dude, this guy is just in his own world. It, it was, it was, it was, oh, like, I can't even remember some of the shit that he said, but it was, it was literally, it's like, it's like, you know, if you were sitting in like, you know, high school, uh, you know, auditorium during, uh, some mandatory, uh, thing and you're sitting with your buddies and they're just like talking shit the entire time yeah if he was still alive that would be a show uh tv show concept just have sam kennison narrate shit yeah <laughs> yeah oh man i thought one of the clock news with sam kennison <laughs> one of the most uh, other most underrated of all time has to be norm mcdonald i feel like norm mcdonald um he had just this level of subtle brilliance to him that a lot of people went over a lot of people's heads of, of, of all of the the weekend update people on saturday night live he was my absolute yeah he was my absolute favorite like he 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 did that he did that job better than anybody has done it because of his delivery because of it i mean he just he could say anything and be funny yeah, and his by far most misunderstood set of all time 
was the one on the roast of Bob Saget where everybody thought that he bombed really bad, but what he was actually doing in that set was he was doing a first-hand, a first-person reenactment of how Bob Saget sounded like on America's Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> yeah, because that's... That was the exact way that Bob Saget sounded telling jokes on America's Funniest Home Videos and Norm MacDonald was subtly mocking him. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what the hell his, his mindset was when he did that. All I know is that I was like literally laying in bed like pissing my pants. That was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. That, I mean, that was, that was one of the most – like it was so fearless – you know what I mean? It takes it takes a lot to get up there and just go like I don't care what the reaction is. Yeah, and he was great. So was Gilbert Gottfried to go yeah. like I don't care. I don't care what the you know. I I loved Gilbert Gottfried. I got to meet him, and funny enough, you know, believe it or not, he was one of the quieter celebrities I've ever met. That's what I've heard. I mean, he was so funny though. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He was pretty hilarious. Friggin' um, oh man, Bob Saget. One of the things I think about with him is because you know everybody, I like a lot of people didn't know him as a stand-up comic. You know what I mean? They knew him from right. the dad from Full House. They knew him from friggin' uh, America's. America's Funniest. But like friggin', um, a lot of people didn't realize how good of a stand-up he was and how filthy of a stand-up he was too. Yeah. Like, he was absolutely filthy on stage. He he used to talk about like incest. When I saw him the first time, he talked about how now that the Olsen twins are grown, he feels like he wants to fuck his own daughters. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like the outlet, and it's there's well, it's funny. There's so many outlets for comics now. But there's not these, like, there's still not these, like, well, I guess Howard Stern is still, like, I've discovered so many comics that I've liked because I was a fan of the Howard Stern show. Mm -hmm. Bob Saget being one of them, I didn't really know him as a stand-up, but his appearances on that show, you just went, oh, my God. Like, I've got a totally different opinion of this person now. I, I mean, the Johnny Carson's Tonight Show was a big funnel, mm -hmm. and, and Letterman, it's like, there aren't these like major sort of outlets like there used to be. There's all of these like little ones as comics. What do you like as you're going like, okay, what's your next step? You've been doing it since November. You're doing like local club. It's like, where, where do you, where do you go? Are you oh. thinking more like, okay, I've got to do something via the internet or something like that or rough oh. comic. Like, I mean, there's so many, whereas before years ago, it'd be like, okay, I've got to road dog myself forever hopefully get on like Letterman or the tonight show. And you know what I mean? Like, it's like where it's, it's kind of like the wild west. Like where, where, where are you like focusing on the weird thing like, for like me? Long -term game plan or yeah. do you not focus at all. The weird thing for me, I have a, I, I actually have a pretty decently listened to podcast, but it's an extremely serious okay. one. Um, it's, oh, okay. it's called the warrior soul podcast. Uh, I do it for the veteran community. Uh, I've been doing that for eight years now, and I've interviewed some some really pretty awesome people, like Robert Greene, the author of the Forty Eight Laws of Power. Um, I've had on like uh, 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 New York Times bestselling authors, like a whole bunch of different classes of people, a bunch of veterans. 
but it's a very serious show. So most people know me who know of me, know me through either that or the fitness thing. So I'm, I'm kind of like establishing this whole other identity as a comic right now. Your own, like your own little thing, right? Yeah. And so like my next steps right now, right now, I just want to work on the craft, you know, get, get my material together, try to get an hour together at some point. Um, I'd like to get out there and do a comedy festival um, and, and, you know, uh, try to apply for, to like Skank Fest or like some of the other big festivals that are out there. I want to, I want to head out to uh, Austin at some point, try to do some of the shows. Austin, what, a scene, what a scene Austin yeah. has become. Yo, it's for, huge for right now. It's huge. So like, yeah, I think the whole thing is to get, get myself out there in front of people who are not in South Florida and just see where that takes me. But like, I don't feel like, like pressure to, to like, you know, try to hit a home run with anything for me right now. It's just base hits, you know? And that's the way, yeah. the way I've always done things in business, the way I've always done things in, in, in life. And that's, what's, what's got me ahead. I think the problem with a lot of people is they, they want to try to hit a home run and make it that way. But like, it's really, it gets back to continuing to write, continuing to generate more material, working on the craft, and then, you know, getting out there where we can, you know. All right. So you said you every day you go in, you write, you write. Mm -hmm. um, do you do you come at it? Uh, you said like, you know, you'll write down like concepts or do you approach it as sort of like a concept and more of like a bit or do you or is it or is you um, like I, I'm a songwriter. Yeah. So it's like sometimes it's like I've got a line, a line that come to me or sometimes it's a melody. Um, do you have like a specific, like, okay, this is a funny concept. Let me break this down into smaller chunks or, or does it, or does it vary from time to time? Like what is, what is like, you know, your process as far as that goes? So generally like I take things from my actual life. So like, for right. example, you know, I, I go to work, I come home every day. Uh, my, my significant other, I walk through the door and she's throwing shit at me. Like just why didn't you do this? Or why are you not doing this? Or why are you doing this? And one of my bits is about, you know, I, I run this company. I've got employees. They respect me. Uh, listen to what I have to say. I control millions of dollars in assets. But as soon as I come home and I walk through that front door, my woman's going to treat me like I'm a 12 year old autistic child. And she's basically going to yeah. pick me apart for like an hour. And, you know, I get into the bit from there. And like, so, so when I'm thinking about stuff, I'll think about like, if, if me and her have a fight or if I run into something funny through the day or, or something like that, I'll write that down. And then when I'm sitting down there and writing, I'm thinking about, okay, what's funny here and, and why is it funny? How can I set right. this up? Um, what kind of punchline can I bring into this? You know what I mean? But the punchline's yeah. already there. It's just a matter of framing the punchline. You how, know? How do you, yeah, how do you get it there? Mm -hmm. Right. So nice. it's just creating a path toward it, you know? Now, do you operate, do you, do you, are you literally, are you, do you like go, you know, you're literally writing almost like a script or like a speech right. or is it just sort of like bullet point concepts? I get from here, I get to this, I get to that. It's so what I do, cause um, it's funny because if you create a bit, you also have to make sure it goes with your other material because yeah. if it doesn't match, you could end up in a hard transition and it's kind of like 
it's like wearing a, a yellow shirt with purple pants or something like that. Totally. You know, like, like, so. As a songwriter, like from a music standpoint, it's like, that's kind of, it's, it's, it's similar to like framing a set list. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I can't like, well, if we start with this, how do we get to that? You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those, it's, it is, it does become performance based. Right. So, so whenever I, um, whenever I come up with a new bit, a lot of times I'm rewriting the set. So to include the bit and typically what I've been doing is, um, I have like a list of, uh, a list of material. Uh, I keep a running list in like a, a, a Google word doc. And then, um, I will, uh, um, go through it. I'll, I'll rewrite the set, but as I'm going, sometimes I'll, I'll transition bits out. I'll put those into like a holding pattern and then I'll work something new in. And then, so like every month I try to have a completely new set. Uh, and that's how I've been generating material. Yeah. All right. I just have to hit stop record real quick and then I'll hit record again. All right. And All righty. We're back. So yeah, his, but yeah, his girlfriend's a really good sport though when it comes to the shows. Um, the main joke, I'll mainly only say one joke about her and that's because Chris always brings her to the shows and um, half the, and a good portion of Chris's jokes are about masturbation. So <laughs> when I get on stage right after him, I'll point that out. I'll be like, you're the only one here who's got a girlfriend and yet you've got more masturbation jokes than any of us. <laughs> that's because all the times he jokes about her on stage. Yeah. You're, she can tell me, she's like, you're on your own, bud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And have you, uh, here's the question. Have you ever crossed the line? Have you ever gotten back home? She's like, all right, that was over. That was, that was over the line. Like that, that was out of bounds. No, she has, she has said to me, like, if I do, if I do a certain, there's one joke she hates. It's about, it's one of my veteran jokes. And I talk about, um, the fact that, you know, people's taxpayer dollars, uh, paid for me to shoot guns and hang out with my friends. And they're still doing it because I'm on VA disability. Um, she doesn't like that <laughs> joke. So she, she'll be like, "That's that joke is stupid. Don't say it anymore. And I'll be like, well, people laugh. So, yeah, if yeah. they're laughing, I'm going to say it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, then the That's second so part of my joke, I, I go, you might want to tell your girl to get some correctional jaw surgery. Surgery. Clearly her mouth isn't working correctly if you got to keep getting the job done yourself <laughs> yeah it's, it's, that reminds me it's like well i think it was uh the tom segura bit where he was like you know held captive and someone <laughs> someone had to give like a hand job to get to save his family he'd be like it would be me it wouldn't be my wife <laughs> yeah he's like you know eh, honey i'm I'll, let me take this one <laughs> That's the truth, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, listen, I'm, I'm better at this than you are. Let me, let me, I got this one. <laughs> yeah, Tom Segura, I met him before his career blew up. I met him back in, like, 2010 after a show he did, and he was a cool guy. But, yeah, that was before his career really blew the way that it, uh, it did. Now he's a really big name. He's He's brilliant. Yeah, he's really, he's really, I heard his pot. He's, he's, he's at the heart of that whole uh, Austin scene too. Yeah, he's there. I heard, I've heard his podcast with his wife, your mom's house. 
I've heard yeah. that's ruthless. Like I've heard it's 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 hilarious. But I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Two Bears with One Cave. Him and him and Bert, and mm-hmm. I, I mean that's that's some of the funniest shit. Yeah, those two those two together are such a good combination. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's priceless. Yeah, Bert's awesome. Bert's awesome. My all-time favorite, personally, is Chris Rock. I love Chris Rock. <laughs> yeah, he he's brilliant, and he's he's one of those guys. I heard him on a thing where he literally, I mean, he 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 dissects his deliveries down to the syllable. Yeah, and I, like, be- I mean, it's, it's like that's just it's crazy. I became an even bigger fan of his when I learned that he's a fan of my all-time favorite series. Am I a monster for being a diehard fan of the Saw movies? <laughs> Chris Rock is also a big fan of them. Maybe a little Listen, bit. Listen, I mean, you know, it's 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 Saw and Porky's. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's all coming together for me now. The picture, I'm, I'm, I'm putting all the pieces together. I'm definitely going to watch Porky's tonight. At some point, it's I, I I completely forgot about Porky's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, it it'll bring me back to my childhood. But yeah, and, uh, they, made, and they made like ten of them. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> like if you go down that rabbit hole, that's it's a deep rabbit hole. Oh yeah, yep. But like yeah, the Por- Academy movies. Porky's particularly stands out to me as a movie that um would never fly nowadays a movie that would get instantly blacklisted because of all the like racial slurs and everything yeah no absolutely. I, I still think conceptually you could get rid of the racial slurs and it'd still be a funny you know along the lines of like american pie or something like that just the, like just a dumb ass movie well yeah. except american pie i wouldn't say was a dumb movie american pie actually had a lot of heart to it which was different than Porky's. Porky's is a pretty heartless movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. I don't know. My uh I'm trying to think my favorite movies from that from, from the eighties and nineties. Die Hard's up there. Friggin' Porky's, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, friggin' Um yeah, one of my favorite 80s movies has to be The NeverEnding Story, but part of that is for nostalgic reasons. It was the first movie to ever make me cry. Oh, when Artak died, huh? Yeah. The other Yeah, that was that was the sad part. I went to the I went to a screening of that movie. <laughs> the other movie the other movie from that time period that made me sob as a little kid was Charlotte's Web. Oh, I can't watch that ever. I can't watch that. I can't watch Old Yeller. I can't watch no. Yeah, yeah, Charlotte's Web just thinking about Charlotte's death makes me want to cry. See, I'm fucked up. The movie that gets me every time is is Rudy. Oh yeah, Rudy that's... gets me every time. Is there they're probably gonna let Rudy play? I'm all, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, choke. You know, you're like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Why am I crying, Rudy? Yeah, when Apollo yeah, dies in Rocky too. But yeah, Old Yeller is another one. I agree. I can't watch um Old Yeller. I'm such a dog lover that anything that involves a dog dying, I it, my heart can't handle. Yes. Yeah. You just never know. You never know what's going to rise up and get you. 
No, no. You, I, I do not like crying. It's not. It's, it's, and sometimes it makes zero sense whatsoever. Right. I was in the car recently, and I don't know what got it. There was a Bob Dylan song about being a moonshiner, which like has no relation to, to anything I've ever done in my life. And I don't know what, but it, it grabbed me and, and, and like got me by the boo-boo. Yeah, yeah. There's and I'm a- like, why am I getting emotional over over this song about like making moonshine? Yeah, there's a Grateful Dead song that does that to me. Uh, um, Brown Eyed Woman. It's friggin' that one makes me cry. Yeah, for me, the song that makes me cry is Cats in the Cradle. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean, just the thought of being estranged from your son all his life, and then when you finally have time for him, him not having time for you. First time I really listened to the lyrics of that song, I got so emotional, and the first thing I did after I listened to the lyrics of that song was I called up my own dad. I think everyone's had that moment, right? With that song. Yeah. Yeah. I immediately called up. I immediately called up my own dad and he wondered why I was calling him randomly. And I said, Oh, I just really wanted to talk to you today. He's like, he's like, you listened to Cats in the Cradle, didn't you, son? Yeah. My dad was a test too. <laughs> you, you were listening to Cats in the Cradle, didn't, didn't it? Yeah. It's all right. Let's talk. I gotta. Well, I've got. I've got five minutes before I gotta. I gotta. You know, call my dad. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, hey, it's been fun. It's been real. Did you uh, have any me. more questions for each other? Uh, well, I guess one question I have for Chris. Um, Chris, where can we see you on these upcoming dates? So I got a show actually tomorrow, Sandbar, Cutler Bay. Uh, I don't know when this is coming out. Um, the the next like really booked thing I've got is, is September 24th. I'll be out at uh, Dania Beach Improv. And then in between there, if you ever want to learn about my upcoming shows – just go to Chris Palmatessa Comedy on Instagram. That's where I put everything up on. Nice. I've, I've got to do better with with my social media. I'm just I'm not good at it. Me neither. I'm I'm horrible. I've got like five Instagram accounts, but but I'm horrible at it. <laughs> like I'm just I'm just bad at it all the way around. So. Did you have any questions for Danny? Yeah, man. So so. Um, you're in a band right now. What kind of music you do? Um, I, I did a I did a musical project uh, a couple of years ago um, called Shelter Dogs, and uh, we're doing that. We're doing that again. Um, we got We're we're still in the process of finishing that up, and that should be a, that should be. I don't know when that's. I don't know when that's coming out. When when I I, I think I have lyrics like two more songs. That's awesome. <laughs> so whenever I finish those up. We'll uh, we'll get it out there. What style of music is it? Uh, it's like just sort of like rock. I mean, it's a little. It's like it's got a little bit for everybody. It's not like super hard. It's not like crazy aggressive. It's just uh, it's good stuff. Awesome, man! I have to check it out. Yeah, it's on the the first record is on Spotify, and then um, I'm gonna be. I was trying to look up when it's gonna be because this is how bad I am. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be at uh, a. 
like a, a oh gosh, it's Pandora's box collectibles, I believe. Okay. In uh, New Jersey in September. Awesome. Me and and uh, Pete and Pete are going to be doing uh, going to be hanging out there that day and, and doing some signings and stuff. Oh, I nice. believe it's I believe it's September tenth. Oh, awesome, man! Awesome. Well, that's and cool. that's about it. That's cool. And then I'm I'm just doing the I'm grandpa. Being a grandpa. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Pretty. Well, right on, you guys. What about you, Dan? What you got coming up? Um, tonight I'm actually gonna be at the Dania Improv, um, the Dania Beach Improv, doing the New Faces show. And oh, nice. yeah, next um, not not next this Friday. I'm gonna be at the Boca Black Box in Boca Raton, doing a show for the host's birthday. And those are the two main shows I have coming up. So once again, thank you so much for joining us, Danny. Yeah. And, oh, and nice to meet you, brother. Yeah, nice to meet you too, man. Uh, uh, freaking keep rocking it, man. And hopefully someday I'll get to meet you in person. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna. One of these days, I'm gonna get out there. So. Awesome. And thank you so much, Chris Palmatessa, for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. It was our pleasure, and. This concludes another very special episode of Vanilla Weiss and the Nostalgic Nerds. <laughs> Until next time, keep on busting a nod over nostalgia. Awesome. Yeah. Every time you say a special episode, I feel like someone's about to get raped. <laughs> <laughs> well, on stage, um, I tend to rape people's eardrums. Hey, it's a hole. Yeah. <laughs>